Drilling fluids touch just about everything in the drilling process. We're here to deconstruct the drilling process and drilling fluid concepts to provide a deeper understanding of our industry. In each episode, we'll share information, talk to interesting people, and maybe share a few stories along the way. Welcome to The Flow Line, a production of AES Drilling Fluids, brought to you by Matt Offenbacher and Justin Gautier. Welcome to another episode of The Flow Line. I'm here in Zoomland with my co-host, Matt Offenbacher. Matt, I mean, there's no telling week to week where you're sitting. Where are you at today? I am out in sunny Midland. I thought I'd, I'd pay the folks a visit out here, but the podcast must continue. So we're doing remote to keep our content moving. That's it. Well, I mean, the sacrifices that you make matter just, you know, unparalleled, but it, you know, you're in Midlantis and not only are you there in the office doing what you do, but you actually got to go visit a rig, didn't you? I did. Periodically, I get self-conscious as a technical guy that I make recommendations that have no business going on a rig. And so <laughs> I just like to, after it's been a while, walk on the pits and visit with a mud engineer. And it was just one of those, you know, try not to forget where, where everything happens. And so mm-hmm. I just uh, headed out, out near Tarzan, Texas. And one okay. of our account managers took me out on the rig and it was, it was a nice little visit. That's awesome. And, and hopefully I'm not exposing here, Matt, but we've done countless episodes about treating Derek hands good and bringing out, whether it's the, the Calgary sun or energy drinks or whatever it is, but did you manage to get time to bring anything to the hands out there? Did not, but it was, it was sort of a strange deal because like, I was, I was like trying to figure out if I could line up some swag or anything like that. And it was sort of like a, I don't know how to put it, but like, it was like, okay, we'll just keep this sort of low key. If we make it high key, then people get nervous that I'm some like big wheel and they've got to do stuff. <laughs> and so right. it would be better if we just sort of show up was yeah. kind of the, the message that I got. Yeah, no, but you know, regardless, it's, it is good for us. Like you said, you know, we sometimes get disconnected and, or, or we distance ourselves from the rig, you know, depending on the roles that we, that we take. And it just doesn't quite allow us to always be out, you know, where the magic happens. And so I always, uh, you know, enjoy going back out there. And typically if I go to Oklahoma city, you know, one of my customers has rigs within 20 miles from Oklahoma city. So it it is good to go out there and and kind of get, I would say, get my hands dirty. I haven't done that in a while, but you know, go visit the mud engineer, you know, say, go walk the pits. It's, uh, it's good. Right. Cause that's where, that's where it all started. And that's great. And just hopefully, hopefully whoever was out there and was able to shake hands and, and maybe even learn a little something, but I'm glad you made it back. And like you said, you know, the show must go on. And so we're Matt, I have to ask when you were out there, do you, do you recall if they were on oil base or water-based? They were on oil base. Ah, okay. Well, not the topic for today, but if they were on water-based Matt, they likely would have been using some form of polymer. And that's, I think, a good place to start today is just talking about polymers. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, we're getting a lot of questions about this. So it's well worth visiting it and having the conversation because this comes up. This comes up a lot. It it has. And it's, you know, especially now with the way oil prices are and, you know, things are still uh, expensive on the oil-based side, Matt. So, you know, with regards to polymers, again, I'm sure you've, you know, had lots of conversations lately, but... I mean, I have to ask, is there anything else other than xanthan gum? That's the only polymer, right? So there are other polymers, but there's Ah. a reason that we end up using a lot of xanthan gum. And most of these polymers we're going to talk about 
we'll explain maybe why there's something attractive about them, but maybe also why we continue going back to our first love of xanthan gum. <laughs> nice. Well, I think a good place to start, Matt, would be to, to outline some key characteristics, you know, with regards to polymers. What do you think? I like it. And and here I would I would narrow down that that I'm I've got my my mud, my drilling applications in mind. Right. So there are other polymers. Think about like FR is a polymer, right? Friction reducers for fracking and that sort of thing. We're not talking about those. We're talking about good old polymers that suspend weight material and carry cuttings and do the other things that we like them to do in drilling fluids. And so like some of the key characteristics that we're looking for, one is good low shear suspension. I mean, xanthan is excellent because it's this branched polymer. It's got these sort of weak bonds between the the branches. So when there's no shear applied, they sort of stick together and hold things. When you apply the pumps, they break down quickly. And so you not only get this really good low shear rate viscosity, which we've talked about on other episodes, but it's also shear thinning where it doesn't create a bunch of pump pressure spikes when you kick the pumps back on. Interesting. Well, what, uh, I mean, what about contamination? Cause you know, with water-based mud, it's always, you know, you always got to be weary of, of contaminants, not so much on the oil-based side. I mean, although there are contaminants, but not quite as many as you would experience on the water-based side. So what would be, you know, is, is our polymers and stuff like that pretty tolerant to contaminants or what can you, can you speak on that a bit? Well, I think we all know xanthan does pretty well, but it also doesn't like calcium. So, you know, high calcium, it won't yield as much. That's why you got to throw that soda ash in with hard water, but it does hold up. You know, you can use it in saturated sodium chloride. You can use it in some other things, which, you know, it tolerates a number of contaminants, but it's by no means perfect. And so it's, it's pretty versatile for most of our applications short of I can actually even get it to work a little bit in calcium chloride. It's just once you get above about like 10.3, it'll start to cross-link and do some other things. And so then that's not the right polymer for you. But, you know, kind of between the tolerance of contaminants and the other thing is just surviving these branch polymers. Some of them are these long chains where they provide good suspension, but if they go through a bit a couple of times, they break down and they don't provide, you have to keep adding more product. So Mm. that can get expensive. And so... Between tolerance to contaminants and tolerance to shear, if you will, there's that kind of longevity perspective. And so all of that sort of comes down to, I want all these properties and then I got to pay for it, right? So cost is a big one. And it's not just, you know, we always talk about total cost of ownership, right, Justin? Yes. So think about, okay, this polymer is cheaper, but if I have to use a lot more of it to drill a well because it's not as shear stable or, you know, the product life isn't as long or I have to use more of it to get that rheological profile, the total cost of ownership is higher. So cost and that some papers call it replacement ratio or the sheer amount of polymer it takes, you know, X amount of this xanth- of xanthan versus some other additive, the money has to work out too, right? Yeah. No, I mean, it's it's... Performance is, is critical, but you know, it always looks at the end of the day, folks are looking at invoices and costs and how much product you used and why. And so it's, it's, you really have to be dialed in and, and understand the, you know, there's limitations and understand that. Yeah. Like, you know, if it's, if it's something at depending on whatever concentration you're using it at, if you have to continuously replace it, cause yeah, like you said, depending on, cause these are, these are long strands. And so also, I mean, when you're giving you know, a bunch of, a bunch of force through the bit and shear, these things can break apart. So, you, you know, you have to keep adding it. 
so yeah, that's, you know, that's something that, that really should be considered. And so, I mean, Matt, we kind of, I guess, kicked off with Xanthan gum, but I mean, can you give a little bit more, I mean, what, what is Xanthan gum? If just, I mean, you don't have to get into the weeds per se, but, but can you just give a brief overview of what it is? Yeah. So it's a, it's a biofermented polymer. So this means basically bugs eat things and, and effectively the like slime they produce becomes this polymer for us. So fermentation process actually through these bugs gets us the polymer that we want, which is kind of a weird process if you think about it. And, you know, we, we use xanthan in food too, right? It's in your ketchup, it's in your fake cheese. We use it in a lot of things, but it's a, it's a bio process that, it, that generates it. So you, you have a fermentation reactor to manufacture it. And unfortunately, there's not that many people making it anymore. And a lot of them want to make it for food. Apparently you can sell cheese, sell that for more than you can sell mud. <laughs> you know, the great thing about it is it's pretty cation tolerant. It's compatible with a lot of brines and that sort of thing. It has this excellent rheology profile. And, and what I mean by that is it's got the good low shear rate viscosity, but the, the high shear rate, the 600, 300 is pretty low. So mm. you look at that grouping, if you ran your, your dial readings, you know, 600, 300, 200, 100, 63, the distance between your 600 and your six RPM isn't that much. So you're going to end up with a, a very nice high suspension, low ECD, low pump pressure profile using xanthan gum. So this is kind of why we love it. Yeah. But the reason we don't love it is it keeps getting more expensive and there's not that many play people making it, which means they can kind of charge whatever they want. And we see that a lot. Right, right. No, it's, you know, it's funny. You mentioned cheese whiz. I don't remember the last time I've eaten cheese whiz, but yeah, it's cheese whiz isn't quite sheer thinning. So I don't know. I mean, maybe it is, but with regards on the mud side, it's one thing you, you were talking about the rheology is, is I know in, in an unweighted polymer system, you'll often see this, they call it inverse rheology where the yield point could be even higher than the PV. And so, I mean, that's a lot of reasons why you know, I, I personally like it, you know, especially being out on the rig is good hole cleaning. You don't need, you know, even with, you know, with a low mud weights, you're still getting good suspension of cuttings and everything else. And so, uh, yeah, Xanthan is, is definitely, you know, a product that I, I personally like myself. Let's talk about something else that, that often comes across, not so, so much, you know, not as quite as common as Xanthan, actually not nearly as common, but the old HEC, you know, I know from what I recall, I, I think I remember using it offshore, Matt, but how would you describe and, and can you tell us a little bit about HEC polymer? Yeah. So I think the reason I wanted to list this one next is xanthan gum is sort of our gold standard, right? And then everybody sees how much it costs and then they see how cheap HEC is and they say, well, I really want that. The problem with HEC or hydroxyethyl cellulose is it is cheap. You can make it, it's a synthetic, synthetically produced in general, but it doesn't have any suspension. It's like a needle-like polymer. So you don't have those branches kind of interlocking together when the, the fluid is static. And so HEC is sort of deceptive where you can make a fluid appear thick without it being able to suspend anything. And so mm. I think we actually have on our YouTube channel, we have a video comparing xanthan and HEC, and we just wow. drop some cuttings into some jars and you can watch the xanthan, it totally suspends them and the HEC, they drop right through. And there's more HEC than there is xanthan in that blend in the, the jar with HEC, three, you know, three or four pounds per barrel. But it looks thick, it's just not suspending. And so HEC is used on the completion side because you can just, it's easy to break down with acid, but you might use it as like a fluid loss control pill or something like that, where it slows the movement of the liquid 
but it is not designed to suspend solids. And a great way to find out is to try and use it to suspend solids and pack off, which <laughs> I may or may not have encountered in my career. Right. <laughs> not in my instruction, to be fair to myself, then protect my sterling reputation. Right. Uh, but um, <laughs> no, I mean, it. people get convinced that, well, it makes the fluid thick, therefore it should clean everything. Sure. And really all it does is make it harder to pump. So HEC is sort of the foil to Xanthan from the perspective of cheap and attractive, but non-performing. Sure. Well, I mean, again, it comes down to, you know, if, if, if someone who may not be experienced looks at a cost per pound, you know, they're going to look at HEC and, and probably say, oh, well, economically, it's much more favorable, but the chances are the performance and the amount you have to add will just blow Xanthan out of the water, which, you know, that's, that's always one thing I like to preface when, when discussing different water-based muds is, Oftentimes people like to use cheaper products to increase viscosity, but not really knowing the sort of the, the effects of, of adding products compared to Xanthan, even though per sack or per pound, it's a lot more expensive. You get a lot more bang for your buck, if you will. And so that's uh, certainly something to, you know, educate people on if, if they're not familiar with water-based muds. Moving on to, it's called Whelan gum or Whelan yeah. gum. Matt, uh, you know, I'll be honest, it's the first time I've heard of this. So I, I'm curious, what is Whalen gum. So Whalen gum is actually a pretty good polymer. It's most of the time you don't encounter it in the drilling fluid side because it is very expensive, but it is used frequently in cement spacers and that sort of thing because it is pretty tolerant of calcium. So beautiful rheological profile, I think even better than xanthan, if I can remember correctly, but even in cementing applications where it might be used as part of a spacer, it's usually not just Whalen. It's just like one of the components because it's so expensive. So this is one of those, I've heard stories that people don't consider it as shear stable, but because it costs so much, we don't use it in drilling fluids anyways. That is sort of, you know, kind of the, where, where things land, but whaling gum, nice rheological profile. Talk to a cementer if you want to know more. Perfect. No, it's good to know it's out there. Good old diutan. What is that all about? Have you used diutan before? I have not. Nope. So this is a, a biopolymer that there was a point in time where xanthan got so expensive that diutan was sort of becoming attractive. It has a really good rheological profile. So like I've seen stuff where I've had like a six RPM rating of, of like 10 or 12 and my 600 RPM rating is like 30. Wow. So it's like really, really sheer thinning. So it's another biopolymer, excellent rheological profile and kind of outperforms a lot of the other ones we're going to talk about on, on that profile. But there's a big drawback. Well, besides cost, the reason you haven't heard of any of these is because they're expensive. But one of the setbacks is tolerance to salt. So uh, this stuff tends to not hold up nearly as well when you get a little bit of salt in it. Hmm. And that's why xanthan sort of wins the day is its broader application and diutan still more expensive right now. But the salt, the salinity thing with respect to, you're not going to run it in saturated sodium chloride. I mean, I haven't even when I've used it, haven't, we haven't gotten more than about 3% or whatever before, you know, 10% by weight sodium chloride, it started to crap out or you saw a marked reduction in performance, but it's got a great temperature stability, you know, that beyond that is Anthan or Whalen by a fair amount, but cost and tolerance are the two dings on it that sort of keep it out of the running in our desire to, to replace Xanthan someday. Interesting. Okay. And so I'm curious, Matt, and I'm not sure if you know off the top of your head, but like Xanthan, 
you may start off with a quarter or a half pound per barrel or a pound, I guess, depending, but let's, you know, fairly low, you know, mm-hmm. compared to say like a gel, what, what kind of concentrations would you, would you add dietan typically, do you know, or have an idea about the same or slightly less? Yeah. I mean, naturally it's, it's okay. a good polymer. I like it. I only wish it was cheaper and tolerated more things. I think if it could come close on those fronts, you'd start seeing people using it for certain things, even though they continue with, you know, Xanthan on, on their broadest applications. Sure. Okay. No, interesting. And this will be fun for me because I never heard of uh, the next one nor the following one, but I'm going to try my best at pronouncing it. Succinoglycon. Glycan. Yeah. So, I mean, the reason you haven't heard of it and it's difficult pronounce, to pronounce is one, very few people have heard of it and very few people have pronounced it. <laughs> I, I, I'll try myself. Succinoglycan. Ah, I like that. I at least try to better. mash the syllables together to sound a little more confident. <laughs> so basically, this is more when you, what happens is you start searching for xanthan alternatives and all this stuff comes up. And this yeah. is always listed as a possibility. However, it has a few interesting things on, you know, relatively sheer stable. It's another biopolymer, this one from soil bacteria, but its viscosity breaks down quite a bit at about 140 F, which Mm. in most wells doesn't make it a great candidate. You can extend that with salt. Fun fact, you can extend all of these with some salt. So there's that to keep in mind. And what it was really tested for in these more, it was actually used in the field, but, but academically it was always looked at as like a gravel packing fluid loss control pill, like HEC, where you make, make fluid thick and put it down whole gravel packing operations where you're actually using it to carry gravel particles. The thing is it's a one-way trip, right? All it has to do is suspend that. So it's probably, unless you're in the desert somewhere, not going to get up to 140 degrees during the operation. So suitable application, I think it still has, it's an anionic polymer. So it still has some of the issues with calcium chloride and so, you know, or, or calcium for that matter. But generally speaking on that front, this probably isn't a good candidate for drilling fluids. It just comes up when you Google xanthan alternatives, which is a reason I feel many questions about it. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Well, so I'm curious, and, and perhaps for the audience too that that may not be familiar, is you mentioned being able to extend the temperature limitations by the addition of salt. Can you explain what's happening on like chemistry wise as to how that that actually happens or why yeah, so it's able to extend? These polymers are going to oxidize. Okay, like that's how they break down. And so okay. one thing you can do to thermally extend something is to scavenge oxygen. Well, another uh, way yeah. is if you add more salt, there's less dissolved oxygen entrained and that extends it. So gotcha. if you're trying to extend any of these, the first thing, you know, if you can add salt, you do that, you'll add an oxygen scavenger, you'll throw in some other things, all of it with the idea of delaying that to add some thermal stability. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Cause when you're dealing with a brine, you typically don't have any dissolved oxygen, which in theory, you, you would think you wouldn't have to add too much oxygen scavenger for corrosion, but Anyway, so, but no, that, that helps answers that. And so appreciate you clearing that up for me. The next one here is the yeah, scleroglican. <laughs> Can you try? So this one I have had a field a bit more. And so I've, I've been able to practice scleroglucan. Ah, okay. Um, I was close. I was close. 
Yeah. And, you know, it's got a, uh, so this is another biopolymer from a fermentation process. That's where most of these biopolymers come from, but it's a plant pathogen fungus from the genus sclerodium, which I found awkward to say, but I felt like I would just include that note (laughs) in as much as it's another biopolymer. So it's, 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 this one's from a, a fungus, but shear stable, it's non-ionic. So it should be able to tolerate more on the like hardness front. And you'll see this, the, a lot of the publications right now talk about it uses EOR enhanced oil recovery, which the idea is I got two wells producing three wells producing. And then I I'm like, you know what? They're not producing very much and it's mostly watered over. What if I pump like a really viscous pill from one well, go pump into that well, something really viscous. And since water and oil don't mix, I actually start pushing oil to some of my other producing wells. And so it it Mm. will sweep through. And so the idea behind the polymer is it's thick and it will push the oil over towards another well, which once again, scleroglucan is probably the one I would love to play with the most. I have very limited experience with none outside the lab, but enhanced oil recovery, usually it's high volumes. This it isn't, but it's still very expensive. You know, it's, it's sheer stable. You know, people have actually used this in the field. There's literature out there from years ago. And one of their claims is that it lasts longer than xanthan. The problem is it's very old literature. It's a couple of wells that you can't tell if they're comparing apples to apples. It's, it's the same level of scrutiny you have to apply to a lot of other things where you say, I still don't see the dollars and cents out of this, at least right now. But Scleroglucan is another another biopolymer and you know probably one of the more interesting ones of the list that sort of comes out when we say can I get rid of xanthan and you know the the problem is I don't want to put my tin foil hat on well I'm going to put it on here for a second it's almost like the xanthan people know exactly how much they can get away with where all these other ones are are too expensive to want to look at you know what right. I mean yeah, and I don't know. Look, that that's just the way markets work, probably what have you. But you know, if there's somebody in the biopolymer business who wants to whip up, you know, something similar to xanthan at a reasonable price, we'd really love to hear from you. You know, and and on the synthetic polymer side, these are conversations that we've had where they say, you know, oh yeah, we'd love to make something for you, and then you actually look at it, and the rheological profile is just nowhere near as good, and it, it the price point isn't where it needs to be, and it can't tolerate salt. So it would be cool if there were other ways than biofermentation to make some of these things. It's just, it's complicated. And so far, as far as we know, it's not cheap. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, I mean, again, as the crazy supply chain occurrences are happening and who knows what, but I mean, it'd be interesting to see some of these, you know, whether some come down to cost or just maybe there's others that come through the pipeline. That, that may work in drilling fluids applications. I'm, you know, it'd be cool to see this list grow a little bit and have some options, but either way, it's, it's good to know what's out there or what's available. And of course, it's like everything, you know, you have to consider some of the limitations and, and, you know, reasons as to why you wouldn't, because, you know, you, as we're going through the list, it's like, oh, well, this sounds good. Why don't we try this? But, you know, as Matt's described, there's certainly things that, you know, with each of them, you really have to be careful on how you apply them and whether it's temperature or, you know, what kind of salt you're drilling with or, or, 
you know, what kind of brines and things of that nature, Matt, but you know, it's, it's been good. And, and I you know, certainly appreciate you uh, diving into uh, some of these ones that are extremely unique, you know, but ultimately it's, it's good to, to educate and, and, you know, even selfishly, like I said, I, the last two I had never even heard of. So if anyone out there wants to try their luck at pronouncing them, I definitely encourage that to, to get familiar with them. Cause who knows, you may read it in a mud program one of these days, Matt, anything else on the polymer front? I mean, really the goal was if you, if you search, these are the, a lot of the ones that come up, I may have missed one, but these are, these are always in the conversation when people ask because there's lab data and it's always, you know, promoted as, as an opportunity. And like you said, Justin, who knows, maybe someday one of these will actually be, you know, cost-effective and, and we'll have more options, but we monitor this stuff all the time because we'd love to find something too. But when you, we hope any of our customers who you know want to talk about the cost of xanthan and is there anything you can do, maybe we'll ask you to listen to this podcast. We we wanted to have some of this liter this out there because the literature's out there. So hopefully yeah. you found it useful. Hopefully I didn't bore you to death. It's just <laughs> worth thinking about. Yeah. No. And if anyone has any questions or wants to elaborate or maybe perhaps you've used some of these, we'd love to hear the story and. Uh, you can reach us either on uh, you know, on LinkedIn, Matt and I are active on there, or you can reach out to us at the Flowline Podcast at aesfluids.com. If for all the listeners who have been subscribers, please, if you could leave a review, share some episodes, spread the good word about drilling fluids. And yeah, just, you know, like they say, always be learning and we'll always be creating content to help. Matt, any closing last words, buddy? That's it. Y'all take care. Awesome. Thanks, everyone. Take care for now. All right. Thanks for listening. Please tune in next week for another exciting episode of The Flow Line. And remember, may your returns always be full and your trips always smooth. Views expressed in this program belong to participants and not their employees. The program is for informational purposes only and cannot take the place of seeking professional advice. Copyright AES Drilling Fluids.